Minnie, how would you describe Vivek Ramaswamy's campaign strategy right now? So I've described Vivek's strategy as it's an everywhere, all at once, talk to everybody campaign. He's working 18 hours a day. He's just fitting in every media, social media, podcast opportunity he can and just trying to get his name in front of as many people as possible. Minnie Raker is a staff writer covering politics for Time magazine. She's describing what it's like to closely follow a presidential candidate who's a political newcomer, someone who needs to get his voice out there. Even, you know, when he sat with me in this car, we were going between campaign events. And that was kind of different, I think, because he was speaking to print reporters. So he was a little more careful and slower in what he said. But like, even then, he was... So you could tell he brought so much energy and thought to it. Like you wonder if there's ever a moment where he's ever off. At age 38, Ramaswamy is a businessman, a former hedge fund manager, a law school grad. He's authored three books and is a multimillionaire. But he's never held elected office. And now he's running for president. Pretty much everyone um, I spoke to who knows him personally said that he's always kind of had a disdain for electoral politics. He found it boring, and he's sort of been, um, you know, disillusioned with with the political candidates we have on offer. But he's also always been interested in politics. Like, he was in the Republicans Club when he went to Harvard for undergrad, and he liked to moderate debates. And one thing that was interesting, there was one source I spoke to who knew him in law school, and they remembered him talking about how he wanted to have 10 years building a successful business career so he would have so much money that he could then run for office without, you know, bowing to donor interests. And that was so interesting to me to hear that from from someone who knew him, you know, 15 years ago. According to some polls, Ramaswamy is now tied with Florida Governor Ron DeSantis in the Republican presidential primary. Both still trail Donald Trump by double digits, but it's telling that a complete novice is suddenly neck and neck with a career politician. Tonight, Ramaswamy and DeSantis are two of eight candidates appearing in the first GOP presidential debate. I think, you know, politically, like it's such a good opportunity for him because his main struggle is that people don't know him the way that they might know Governor Ron DeSantis or former Vice President Mike Pence. So, You know, I I think for him, like more than any of the other candidates, it's this opportunity to just go from being this unknown person to being someone that Americans are, are kind of wondering about and intrigued by. Right. So I'm hearing you say that, like, this is a great forum for him because he can, like, show off his skills. But it also it sounds like there's a lot at stake. There are high expectations for him. But like you said, there's also high stakes, I think. Because he has been relatively unknown, Um, he hasn't necessarily gotten the same scrutiny as some of these candidates who have been in politics for years. And we're starting to see kind of hints that his opponents might use this as a time to really start grilling him and criticizing his positions because they're starting to see him as a threat. Today on the show, Vivek Ramaswamy gets his biggest stage yet. I'm Yasmin Khan, in for Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next. Stick around. 
This episode is brought to you by Discover. When it comes to your finances, Discover wants you to know they are the credit card that is always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We are talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. I want to start by learning a little bit more about who Ramaswamy is. Long before he was campaigning in New Hampshire and Iowa, he was a kid, a son of Indian immigrants growing up in Cincinnati, Ohio. Can you tell me about those early years? Yeah. So his parents, they were, as you said, I think, Indian immigrants. So they kind of taught him what he says were like cultural values, like the importance of working hard and education and morality. And I think his um, conservative politics, he also picked up pretty early, but that was kind of outside of the house. And he's talked a little bit about having this conservative piano teacher who taught him for many years, who loved Ronald Reagan and taught him sort of the importance of what he calls, you know, family values. So I think that started influencing his politics from an early age. And at the same time, he was kind of being influenced by the school communities he was in. He he started out going to a diverse, majority Black public school. And then when he transferred to high school, he went to a place called St. Xavier, which was a Catholic school where he was one of the very few, maybe even the only Indian uh, student, the only Hindu student or one of the very few. And he, I, I actually like talked in particular to a friend of his who later became a business partner, but someone who knew him then. And he talked about how, you know, Vivek was sort of head and shoulders above the rest in terms of his brilliance. Like he'd study all the time. He was really smart. He'd be in mock trial, but he could also just talk to anyone. Like he, he wasn't, you know, kind of the stereotype of the antisocial nerd or whatever. He was someone who loved talking sports, who just always loved people and discussion. And I think that's very uh, apparent even now. I want to just ask, <laughs> almost like a side note, can we talk about his rap identity for a second? I think you mentioned <laughs> this in your piece. He was known as Davek in college at Harvard. And I mean, do we learn anything about him through his hip hop persona? Oh, man. I think it's just, um, it kind of, to me, what we learn about him is that he was never someone who had any fear. You know, he was never someone who had self-consciousness about whatever it was he wanted to say or do. And, you know, when it came to academics or politics or debate, he was this very serious person. But then, you know, when he wanted to rap, like he loves Eminem. Recently on the campaign trail, he started rapping uh, Lose Yourself and it became this big viral moment. Joking how everybody's joking now. The clock's run out. Time's up. Overplow. Snap back to reality. And it's just like he, I think he's someone who very much does um, speak his mind. And, you know, I think there's certainly some, like, I think he's a very talented politician. He 
kind of frames things in a way to make people um, comfortable or to kind of appeal to whatever audience he's speaking to. But at the same time, he was never going to be someone who, you know, curtailed his personality just to like fit in at a place like Harvard or in American politics or anything like that. When Ramaswamy wasn't rapping, he spent his college years studying biology, playing tennis, and debating as a member of the Harvard Republican Club. After he graduated, he joined a hedge fund where he'd go on to make partner. He also went to Yale Law School and claims to have been a multimillionaire by the time he graduated. In 2014, Ramaswamy founded Roy Vance Sciences, a biotech firm that worked on developing new drugs. It wasn't until a few years later that he started getting involved in politics. Basically, in 2019, he was starting to feel this sort of unease about the way uh, corporations were trying to kind of shape social conversations, you know, around um, the environment, around diversity, that kind of thing. And then in 2020, when the pandemic upended the world, and then when we saw these protests following George Floyd's death, that really cemented for him that he needed to speak out about this. It was in the wake of the George Floyd death and the Black Lives Matter protests across this country that there was a demand for me to make a statement as the CEO of a multi-billion dollar biotech company in favor of Black Lives Matter. I refused to do it. And that set up a six-month you know, I would say journey is what I'll call it. I just- He'd already at this point said that, you know, corporations shouldn't be the ones deciding our social and cultural values as a society. But it was around that time where he started to get a lot of pressure from people at his own company to speak up on these issues that he didn't feel it was his responsibility as a CEO to speak out about. Um And he felt so strongly about that that he actually stepped down as the leader of his biotech company. And he spent time after that kind of writing his book, Woke Inc., criticizing these corporate pushes into the cultural and political sphere. That really, I think, lit a fire under him in a way where before he'd been so focused on business, it was a backlash to these Uh, social justice pushes that made him this person he is today with these really right-wing mindsets. So in February, he announces that he's running for president in a video posted on YouTube, which I watched. It's like this three-and-a-half-minute monologue that's set to very intense music (laughs) where he talks about the dangers of what he calls COVIDism and climatism and gender ideology. This is psychological slavery, and that has created a new culture of fear in our country that has completely replaced our culture of free speech in America. And that is why today I am announcing my run for president of the United States. Did his campaign announcement make much of a splash? That's a good question. I would say not that much. I think, you know, at the time he was this sort of like I said, he, he, to some extent, still is unknown. Like, if you go to, up to some regular person in the street who doesn't follow politics, they probably don't know who he is. So back then, at the beginning, when he was just starting, you know, I talked to this pollster who told me when she first got a call about Vivek Ramaswamy, she was like, who's that? <laughs> um, and she'd never heard of him. And she, you know, she conducts focus groups all the time. She really knows what voters are talking about. 
and she hadn't heard his name. And then she said to me, you know, sure enough, she started hearing his name a lot more. So he's really gained momentum. And she told me actually that in some of the more recent focus groups, she hasn't heard anyone bring up Ron DeSantis, who has been kind of the Trump's lead rival, but she's hearing people bring up Vivek Ramaswamy all the time. So I think that goes to show like, even if he wasn't the biggest deal when he launched his campaign, like he's making, he he has some momentum here. We don't know exactly where that will go, but he's certainly like building a profile. Right. So he went from pulling around one to 2% in June, depending on who you ask, to being now tied with Ron DeSantis, the governor of a state that's very important electorally. So how did he manage to gain so much ground? I think it's a couple things. One, I think it is this strategy of going everywhere and speaking to as many audiences as he can and just getting his name out. Like he's, because he comes from this relatively unknown background, he's had a lot of room to grow. So as people are exposed to him through, you know, the TV shows they normally watch, through the podcasts they normally listen to, and then also, of course, through kind of these viral moments he creates on social media, you know, some of those people are going to like him, and just by learning about him, that's going to rocket his support up. I think that's one thing. The other thing is the anti-Trump contingent of the party had its hopes pinned on Ron DeSantis. And so far, DeSantis isn't really living up to that. So we're starting to see some voters, um, you know, give other candidates like Vivek a second look, you know, maybe because of his strategy and maybe because he's yet to receive some of the same scrutiny that DeSantis has. People are looking at him and thinking they like what they see. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. So let's talk about Ramaswamy's platform. How would you characterize where he falls on the Republican ideological spectrum? I would say he's very far to the right. Um, He's been running as Trump 2.0. He said he's take America first further than Trump. He is nothing but kind words for for former President Trump, who he's said many times that he would pardon if Trump is convicted of crime. So I would say like when it comes to the political spectrum, he's about as kind of right wing and as Trumpy as you can be. Um, Though at the same time, I would say, like, that doesn't necessarily mean he's a traditional conservative. He identifies as pro-life, but he does not support a federal abortion ban, which you might say would be, like, the more conservative position. So he has, like, some complexity to him. I think he's 
very Trumpian in many ways and kind of using Trump as a model is sort of the best way to describe his policy platform. But with a little sprinkle of, you know, ideas that are just outside of the mainstream. Yeah. Right. To that point, you know, like, as you say, his outlook is hard, right? Like he's all in on fossil fuels. There are only two genders. You know, he has these big picture principles and policy ideas that he espouses. But then he also has these smaller picture proposals, like, let's raise the voting age unless you can pass a civics test. (laughs) And I'm wondering, like, do those policy ideas, are those sticky with voters? I mean, I don't think if you were, if your only goal in crafting your policy platform is to win elections, I don't think you would necessarily run on raising the voting age, the automatic voting age to 25, you know? I don't think that's what Americans are clamoring for. But I think it just kind of fits with his ethos. Like, I think for him, he has this vision of what American culture should be. And he's running on that vision as much as he's running to win the election. Yeah. And as you said, he's considered himself or his campaign Trump 2.0. How exactly does he engage with the former president? (laughs) Um, I think I saw a quote recently that he described Trump as as a good friend. You know, he's had friendly conversations with Trump. Um, He defends him at every turn, suggests that the Biden administration is using the Department of Justice to go after him, suggests it's, you know, an unfair political persecution. Trump has has also spoken very positively of Ramaswamy because they haven't, I think, actually been in competition yet. I think if Ramaswamy were to start to threaten him in the polls, that might change. Yeah, I'm sure it will. <laughs> I can't wait to see what <laughs> Trump says uh, when that happens. So his momentum in the polls means that he's likely to be a target uh, for his opponents at tonight's debate. Any ideas what sorts of attacks they'll lob at him? Yes. So we have some evidence of this based on New York Times reporting about basically a strategy memo from a PAC associated with Governor Ron DeSantis. In this memo, basically, one of the main strategies that the PAC suggested the governor pursue was to slam Ramaswamy. And uh, some of the attacks they suggested were about positioning him as Vivek the fake, kind of calling him insufficiently conservative because he does have a history of, at times, kind of breaking with the conservative orthodoxy and kind of defining his own position. So I think we might expect that to come up on the debate stage. And then on top of that, there's this question of his identity. He's this son of Indian-American immigrants. He's a Hindu. And, you know, that's a complicated thing because I don't know exactly how that's going to affect how voters feel. But this is a party that is, you know, their candidates have been overwhelmingly white. Their voters have been overwhelmingly white. Vivek's Hinduism and his identity are kind of different from the standard for a Republican politician. And he said he doesn't think that will make a difference, but I think it just remains to be seen. We've seen that his opponents um, in that DeSantis strategy memo 
there was a suggestion that that DeSantis should highlight his Hinduism and time he spent growing up visiting India and um, accuse him of kind of being tied into India's caste system and kind of raising these little flags around his identity. And, and so I think we might see a little bit of that. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I think that's interesting because I have been wondering how run-of-the-mill racism might play into his candidacy. You know, he's this captivating talker and successful businessman, but he's not white. And he, as you say, he has this different name. He's Hindu. He's practicing Hindu. And yeah, I, I'm sort of interesting to see how ugly it could get. Yeah, I agree. And he's been the sort of person to let that kind of thing roll off his back. Like, I, I was talking to one friend of his who told me that he had been mispronouncing Vivek's name for 20 years. And Vivek never said anything to him. So he's the sort of person, he, he doesn't want to kind of highlight those identity differences. And everything he said when people have asked him about it, he's minimized those. But maybe he's minimizing those because he can kind of sense that highlighting the differences could influence his political prospects. The thing about the name really sticks out to me. Maybe it's because I'm someone who also struggled with people pronouncing my name, remembering my name. So um, like this idea that Ramaswamy had a high school friend <laughs> and former business partner who didn't realize he had been mispronouncing his name for 20 years and <laughs> Vivek never corrected him. I'm wondering, you know, what that says about him. He, that, like, do you think that he's trying to just make himself palatable, easy? And will that work? Yeah, I do think there's an element of that. I think he's he said in his, I think in his launch video and on the trail, like he feels like the left or the media or whatever it is really emphasizes our differences rather than our shared American values. And so I think every time he's not correcting someone, that's a moment where he could, you know, he could correct someone and maybe to him, that would be kind of emphasizing those differences, but he just kind of moves right past him. Do I think it'll work? Like, I don't know. I don't know. I, I think it'll be an interesting kind of test case to see where America and where the Republican Party stands on these kinds of things, because he is this politician who, yes, he comes from this Indian American Hindu background, and he talks about that and the way it influenced his life, but he's constantly emphasizing the similarities between, you know, him and the Christians he talks to on the trail and how his faith is the same as their faith and his values are, you know, the values around the American dream. So he is he is making himself palatable, and I guess we'll just have to see if if it's enough. Thinking about the debate tonight, what is Ramaswamy doing to prepare for the debate? <laughs> um, well, I saw on social media he played a lot of tennis. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's he's very... Um, I mean, I don't think it's a bad strategy, actually. What his campaign told me is that he's doing some kind of basic policy briefing, so he kind of knows the details of some of the things he might need to talk about. But other than that, he's not doing, like, formal debate prep. Like, there's no mock debate. And uh, his team told me that they decided that because they realized in order to make time for formal debate prep, 
they'd have to just cut into his travel schedule, the schedule where he's spending 18 hours a day zooming around the country, meeting voters, going on podcasts, going to all these events. And they just didn't want to cut into that. So for now, they're, they do some kind of minimal policy briefings and they'd let him have all these conversations with what they would call the liberal media and with podcasters and with voters. And they see that as kind of being, you know, thrown into the fire enough that that will serve as prep for this first debate. My last question. Trump is still polling double digits ahead of Ramaswamy and DeSantis. Obviously, tons can change before the primary. uh, But at this moment, it's hard to imagine anyone displacing Trump on the ticket. So with that in mind, I'm wondering, how do you clock Ramaswamy's ambitions exactly? Is he running to win? Is he running for a cabinet position? What's, What's his goal? Well, he's said over and over to anyone who asks that he does not want to be vice president. He does not want to be in the cabinet. He doesn't have the temperament for that. He wants to be, you know, the number one. He's the leader. He's always been the leader of the club, the valedictorian of his high school, the CEO of the company. He doesn't see himself as as a number two or, you know, down in the cabinet or whatever. He's suggested, you know, he might just go back to the kinds of things he was doing before, private enterprise, writing books, being a cultural commentator. But I think there's a couple important things to remember. I think one thing is he is kind of building this positive relationship with Trump, and uh, that could pay dividends down the line, whether that's a formal position or, or just that relationship. And the other thing to keep in mind is he's 38 years old. You know, he has what, 40 more years to run for president? 30 maybe? <laughs> we'll see. We'll see how the how the gerontocracy is doing. But uh, he has plenty of time. So even if for now he's just kind of building his name, getting on people's radar, making his policy positions known, he could definitely run again in four years or eight years. He has nothing but time. Minnie, thank you so much for your time and for your insights. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Minnie Raker is a staff writer covering politics for Time Magazine. That's the show. If you're a fan of What Next, the best way to support our work is to join Slate Plus. Go to slate.com slash whatnextplus to sign up. What Next is produced by Elena Schwartz, Rob Gunther, Anna Phillips, Paige Osborne, and Madeline Ducharme. We're led by Alicia Montgomery with a little help from Susan Matthews. Ben Richmond is the Senior Director of Podcast Operations here at Slate. And I'm Yasmin Khan, in for Mary Harris. Thanks for listening. Talk to you soon.